welcome you to God's presence today. I believe, God, that you are here expectant. And if today is your first day of worshiping with us, I want to say welcome. God bless you. We will recognize you very shortly. But this is the time we hear the word of God. And so the Lord increase you as you have come into the house of God today. I want us to know that today being a family service means we have our children with us and our young people, but particularly the children. So if they are around us, let us work together to help them to remain settled throughout the service by the grace of God. I want to appreciate God for the privilege he's given me to be able to stand here today to minister the word of God to you. It is a privilege I don't take for granted. God has put me on the pulpit ever since I was a 23-year-old in the year 1992 in my home country, Nigeria, and I've always counted it a privilege to stand before two, three, four, five, ten, two thousand I've stood before in time past to the glory of his name. Uh, and I want to thank God for every privilege that he gives to do just that. Because one thing you can do yourself as a disservice is to take for granted the opportunity God gives to you to speak to his people. <laughs> don't ever take it for granted at all. If you want to be on his right page every time, take it seriously every day, every time. This is why you never see me come here with scruffled pieces of paper and scrambling all over the place looking for what to talk about. I take time every week for 10 years almost now. Every week I take time, hours upon hours upon hours, to make sure that I look at the word. If it's a fresh revelation, I balance it. I look at what some of my mentors have said in time past. Look at what the Spirit of God is saying. And then I trust God that I will give you the balanced word that is not just something from my head. So this is a very serious matter for me. And I want to appreciate God for giving me such awesome privilege. And I want to welcome you if you are online. Uh, God bless you. Thank you for joining. And thank you for watching this if you are coming in later on to watch the recorded versions. I believe, God, that you will also be blessed right where you are this very moment in Jesus' name. I always say, or from time to time I say, if you are hearing me right now, it means God wants you to hear the entire message. So don't tune out, keep watching, and you will be blessed in Jesus' name. So you are very welcome to God's presence today. Uh, don't forget, those of you that may be newer to the church, we have a YouTube page where these messages are hosted every Sunday because this church, we teach in series. Every Sunday is part of a series, either starting a new series or part of another series or ending a series every time. That's how God has instructed us and that's how we have been going. So you do yourself a world of good to find that page. It's called LiveGate Outreach TV. Subscribe to it. Anytime something is uploaded, you will always have access to it. We are also on podcasts, audio podcasts as LiveGate Outreach Center. So if you listen to podcasts a lot, you drive, you like listening to podcasts, you jog, you walk about, you like listening to podcasts, audio on your phone, uh, you can subscribe to our page. It's got all our messages on there from 2017 as well. So God bless you as you subscribe to those things. And of course, you follow us on Facebook, LiveGate Outreach Center, on Instagram, LiveGate Outreach Center, one word as well. And um, the Lord will bless you as you engage in Jesus' name. Keep sharing the word of God. Uh, I believe that one of the things our generation can do easily to evangelize, which was not available in the days of the apostles, is the fact that we have easy means of sharing the word of God now. Let us not trivialize it. God makes these things possible. When I was a little boy, it was a big thing to have tapes that we bought in church and we gave to friends. It was a big thing. When it started, it was not existing when I was born, but as I was growing up, becoming like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, tape started to come on in, in frame. And um, it was really treasured that you bought tapes of messages and you gave to your friends at those times, especially when a message can bless a person uh, that we, we are relating with. It was a form of evangelism those days. Now we have so much opportunity to share the word of God let us continue to do it as God blesses us in Jesus' name. We are starting a brand new series today that is uh, titled Divine Exploits by Conviction. Let's give the Lord a big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, I'm jumping ahead of myself. We are ending our old series. <laughs> 
we're ending our whole... See, this tells you, this should give you an indication of how far I go before these days. <laughs> I've actually almost finished next Sunday's message. That's why I'm telling you about it. Please, we are finishing our series. <laughs> we are finishing our series on divine exploits by love. Hallelujah. Now let's give the Lord a big hand. A big hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. And... Uh, this series has helped us to look at how loving God and the things that God said we should love can help us to walk in exploits. We started by looking at the life of a man called Jacob who loved a woman called Rachel so much that the Bible says he labored for her for another seven years. After a first seven years, he went on to do another seven years for her even though he was giving her at the seventh year, but he went on, the Bible says, and it seemed a few days to him because he loved her so much. And that shows that when there is love at work in you, you have the capacity to do a lot of things that people find difficult, people that would have been stre- things that would have been stressful to people. And then we went on to look at the life of David just last week, that David was a person who obviously was uh, a lover of God's people. And it is important that we appreciate that the way David loved God is what God expects of us in terms of how we extend that love to his people. David's story is very similar to the man we are going to look at today. Throughout this year, we will be doing a lot of what is typically called character study, but we are not just going to be looking at characters in the Bible. We're going to be looking at exploits done by people in the scripture in different ways as God orchestrates us through the series. That's why I was jumping into the series for next month where we'll be looking at how people were able to go into exploits just by their conviction. But today we want to end on the story of a man called Nehemiah, which we have read from the Bible reading. And uh, Nehemiah is a man that loved the, his city very much. And this is why the title of today's session is Loving God's Habitation. Loving God's Habitation. Loving God's Dwelling Place. So, loving God's people, loving God's habitation, very similar, but I will explain what makes it a little bit of a difference and how we should walk in those divine realms of love uh, by the grace of God. Of course, as part of the series, we looked at the, the story of the woman called Ruth. We actually started the series from there, where she loved, she, she loved God so much that she left all that was in her own comfortable zone and pursued after God through Naomi, her mother-in-law, and then she gained all, as we saw, God promoting her. Exploits of a life indeed. Nehemiah is a man who God raised in the end time, or God raised in their time, to be a repairer of breaches, a repairer of the city. And I'm going to explain how that is relevant to us today. His story is very fantastic. The chapters in the book of Nehemiah are 12. We will only be able to touch on the first two today, but in the course of the week, we might touch on other aspects of the story. We have done a lot of series on, especially chapter 3, in this church before, before now probably once or twice, and um, how God used him to build the different gates and the different walls. But before we go to that, I want us to know that every time we talk about God's habitation, it refers to where God has chosen to dwell amongst men on this side of eternity. God's habitation refers to where God has chosen to dwell. We know that the Bible says heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. Can I have Acts chapter 7 verse 44 verse 50. I'm going to read that very quickly. But God chooses of his own volition to dwell amongst men because ultimately as many who relate with him and as many who are with him on this side of eternity before the world comes to an end will end up continuing to have that fellowship with him. His desire is that all men be saved. This is what the Bible tells us. God's desire is that no one would perish and everyone would come to that place of cohabiting with him by him living on their inside. The man called Stephen told us something about how God started to show how he wants to dwell with men 
from the book of Acts chapter 7, just before he was martyred. In Acts chapter 7, verse 44. Acts chapter 7, verse 44. The Bible says, Our fathers had a tabernacle. I'm reading it up to verse 50. If you can turn to it, turn to it, please. He said, Our fathers had a tabernacle of witnesses. Thank you. They had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Remember, the fathers he was talking about were the people who were delivered and rescued from Egypt. And as they were going, the Bible says, God's word says that God commanded them to build for him a tabernacle. He commanded Moses that they would start to know him and start to fellowship with him in the tabernacle he built. So he called it the tabernacle of witness. As he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Somebody say, according to the pattern that he had seen. God always has a pattern for everything he commands man to build for him. Whether it's a physical tabernacle, a temple, or a ministry in our modern day. There is always a pattern. This is why ministries must not compete against one another. Because the pattern he gives to everyone is different. But it is for the same purpose of having communion. God will fellowship with people the way he chooses. God will reach out to a group of people the way he chooses. He made us all. He knows very well that we are a people that he has made differently, intentionally. And so he chooses to make us that way. And so every one of us must understand that as he desires to reach out to his world, he gives pattern. He gives pattern. This is very important and we'll still come back to it. But then the Bible says in verse 45, which our fathers received, it in turn also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles. So it was a moving tabernacle. And as they were moving in the wilderness, the Bible says God made sure that Joshua also brought into the land of their, possess of their possession. The people God drove out before the face of their fathers until the days of David. And in verse 46, I'm reading on. He said, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob? David was a man, like we saw last week, truly after God's heart. Before his time, men were having tabernacles and tents. David said, I want to build a place that is a dwelling place for my God. And God was moved by that. And God began to show him a pattern of a temple and began to show him how it will be built as well. But God was not going to use that temple as a permanent abode, but yet he cooperated or agreed with David as it were to build him a temple. Look at verse 47. But Solomon, verse 47, the Bible says, but Solomon built him a house. Remember God said, now that I've given you the pattern of what you will build, you will not build it because you have been a man of war, a lot of bloodshed in your hands. And so I will cause your son to build it. And so Solomon was commissioned to build it. And verse 48, it says, however, let's read verse 48 together. Everybody want to go. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says. What did he say? Verse 49. Everybody, let's go. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Verse 50 says, Has my hand not made all these things? So whatever we build for God today is just a type. It's just a symbol. None of us may ever, ever think we are doing God a favor. The Bible says, Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. So anything we build is just built at his footstool. No matter how expensive we make it, today we have buildings that sit 100,000 people at a time, and we are still building bigger, especially in one country like that. We can build those things. It doesn't matter. But the truth is we have to realize that whatever we build, it can never compare to his majesty. It can never compare to his glory, his splendor in the heavens where he resides and abides. But Jesus gave us a snapshot in John 14. He said that his father is already making many mansions available for us in that place. And he is going ahead of us to prepare a place for us. 
So every time we are building and committing to a house here on earth that is a tabernacle and a temple for our God, a worship center for our God, we are only reminding ourselves of the heavenly mansion that awaits us. Hallelujah. So everything we are doing must not end here. Every believer must wake up. Every, every day you open your eyes and you are still on this side of eternity. Say, Lord, thank you. Continue to help me to maximize my life. Because one day, some people will open their eyes like that and they are in heaven. They are in heaven. Because a day is going to come when these things will come to an end. That is those who are alive at the time that the, the, the rapture will take place. So every one of us must be waiting for that day where this will come to an end and prepare ourselves. This is why we are looking at every effort that Je- uh, uh, Nehemiah made to build the city, to rebuild the city of God that was in ruins, and how we should see that in our context of today. God's primary abode today, as we accept the salvation and the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, is in our hearts. That is the first place God wants to reside. It is a collection of people who carry God in their hearts that come into a building that makes God present in that building. No matter how beautiful a building is, if it is full of people who don't carry God in their hearts, there is not a church. That is just a collection of people who are still looking for God. And there are many people who gather in many buildings today in the name of being in search of an unknown God or some kind of God. But for the believer who has accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they carry Jesus Christ in their heart and the Christ they carry in their heart helps them to come together to have a koinonia or a fellowship. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 19 to verse 20. I am going to take you through a lot of things that happened in the story of Nehemiah, but I just want you to please follow me. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Let's read it together. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Somebody say, I'm not my own. As long as, what do we mean when we say Jesus becomes our Lord and Savior? It means he takes over our lives. So when somebody has taken over your life, you can no longer claim to be your own. And any attempt to want to be your own puts you in friction and at odds with the one who truly should be Lord of your life. Paul said, do you not know that your body, everything about you is a temple of the Holy Spirit? This is why he is in you. And when he's in you, you have that gift from God. And you are no longer your own. This is why you must carry yourself with dignity. This is why you must not be living the low life and and making your body subject to the principles of this world anymore. You are no longer your own. You cannot afford to go everywhere and do everything, every time, every how, anyhow. But you must be somebody who consistently is making sure that you are reminding yourself that the Holy Spirit is at work in you. Let's read verse 20. The Bible says, for whom, for you were what? Bought at a price. What is the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. He said, therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Very, very simple and succinct. Every believer must understand that this is our responsibility. In this church, we emphasize the fact that by the grace of God, we are people of purity, not because we are saying that we walk purity out in the physical, what we are, or by flesh, rather. We don't walk out purity carnally. But by the spirit of God that is at work in us, we live a life of holiness. We subscribe to a life of holiness intentionally. I have said to you before, holiness is not a gift. Holiness is a work. It's not a gift to a group of people to decide not to be defiling themselves. It's not a gift to decide to separate yourself from an adulterous generation. It's not a gift to decide to remove yourself from a perverse generation. It's not a gift 
to decide that you are going to stand for truth and righteousness even if everybody else around you is compromising left, right, and center. It's not a gift. It's an intentional act that you must engage with that one who is living in your temple. If the body of Christ can understand how important it is that the Holy Spirit we carry on our inside does much more than inspire us in creativity and those things we talk about, but also helps us to walk and talk and think like God, desire the things that God desires, hate the things that God hates, it helps us make and have an easier walk with this God. It is a battle that we will fight all the days of our lives till we see him on the final day. But the Lord will continue to strengthen every one of us in the name of Jesus. So as to, together as saints, we make up what we call the spiritual temple, the body of Christ. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5. I want us to read that very quickly. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and verse 5. Thank you very much. Let's go. Let's go back to verse 4 now, verse 4. He said, coming to him, let's go together, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. That is us. Let's go verse 5 now. Everybody, let's read verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is everyone's responsibility to understand. Somebody say, I'm a living stone. Say, I am a living stone. If you are born again, you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you must understand yourself as a living stone. A living stone. A living stone. Part of a building. Vital. Vital. The Bible says we are all being built up. A spiritual house. A holy priesthood. And we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Every one of these bricks that you can see around us are playing a role here. The nature of this structure, I will take you a little bit into structural engineering, so don't mind me, it's my work. But the nature of this structure is such that what is holding it up and makes it possible for us to be in here are all these steel frames. They are the major steel structures. They are the major, if you like, skeleton of the building. They hold it all up. These bricks do less of holding up. But they have an important function. If you take out one of them now, I give you only 10 minutes. All of you will be looking for your jackets, isn't it? <laughs> You'll be looking for your jackets because they will allow, that one little hole will allow what? The elements from outside. While it may not be the structure that is holding up the building, it is very vital in making sure that unnecessary elements do not get into the building. This is how important every one of us are. And there are some structures that don't have a steel frame like this that actually rely on the brickwork, okay? That is Structural Engineering 101 for you. Hallelujah. <laughs> so, but the reality is that that is how structures stand. We talk about foundations a lot, so that is very true. They are very vital. But you see, the, what we call the superstructure, what is built on the foundation is equally as important with every part of it playing its role. So when we come together, I say we are living stones, we are being built up. The, the phrase being built is very important. It means we are not yet complete, but as we are, we are functional. This is the mystery of it. It's a functioning building, but it's yet being built up. We are being built up a spiritual house. So many of those people that you see on the street today and those ones that are looking like they are wasting their time and they don't have anything to do with God, they are still part of the missing blocks that we have to keep looking for, keep encouraging to come and take their place. Hallelujah. This is what evangelism is all about. It's not a Bible bashing uh, method or proving superiority. You know, when we were young, some of my friends say, I don't know why some people are not getting born again. I'm born again. I'm saying, if you like, go and perish. <laughs> that was the understanding they had then. But the idea is that, no, no, that's not the way. That's not the way. We must continue to see everyone as a potential in that building. Hallelujah. When you come across that person and it looks as if this one is a write-off, this one has no hope. By your human standards and human estimation, this one has no chance. 
because of the way he or she looks to have lived their life. Maybe they have even changed their form in two, three ways. Don't write anybody off. Don't write anybody off. You must understand that everyone, the Bible says, we are being built up a spiritual house. We can teach on this some other time, but I want to quickly get to where we are going. God dwells in our praises and our worship when we come together. Not just those songs we sing, but our collective heart attitude towards him. The Bible says in Psalm 22, from verse 3, it says, but you are holy, enthroned, enthroned in the praises of, his, of Israel. Psalm 22, verse 3, thank you. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned in the praises of Israel. This is the one who says heaven is his throne. But when the praises of Israel, the called out ones, the God-selected ones, the ecclesia, when they come together to praise, he brings his throne and he manifests in their midst. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. amen. It's important we understand this because, you see, we are going to a place today in understanding the place of loving God's habitation. Loving God's habitation, particularly as it has to do with fellowship. This is what the story of Nehemiah teaches us. Our collective worship must therefore be in unity and in spirit and in truth. Psalm 133 verse 1 to verse 3 tells us how important it is that brethren dwell together in what? In unity. In unity. Thank you. In verse 2, he said it is like precious oil that is flowing down upon the, it's put upon the head, running down the beard, the bread, beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. Verse 3 tells us also that it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For what? There the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life abundantly. And he said, he who believes in him, Jesus said, he shall have eternal life, life forevermore. This is why we must understand the place of unity. The church that we are a part of today, that is of the modern temple, the post-Jesus temple, was birthed in the place of unity. The Bible says the apostles came together and they were in one accord. One accord and the Holy Spirit came and gave that anointing and it flowed down and it's still flowing down to us today. As many of us that unite to that purpose, it flows down to us today. And there the Lord commanded the blessing. Not there they pray for blessing. They don't go there to pray for blessing. That is the problem of the church of today. They go there begging and praying for blessing and they are not united. And the anointing stays. The anointing stays. Say, these people are crying to me day and night. But look at them fighting each other, sleeping with each other, committing all kinds of atrocity, cheating each other, duping each other. Anointing say, I can't touch that. And they wonder. This is why we must come back to the scripture and understand. As we unite in spirit, in truth. Unity means I will not want to hurt you. You will not want to hurt me. Unity is not just because we sit together and then we say we're united. No, that's not unity. That's not unity. That's just one of the acts of unity. I, we have a unity of purpose. We have a unity of intention every time. I come with my heart wanting to bless you. You come with your heart wanting to bless me. That is unity. Go and ask any married couple who are truly united. They are wanting to bless each other. They are trying to outdo each other. I give you this, you give me that. I give you that, you give me that. Give. That is how they do to each other. Not one say, I want to take from you, I want to take from you, I want to take. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is how the body of Christ should understand. When those people came together, the Bible says, there the Lord command the blessing. You say, I don't like that church. They don't pray for blessing. They don't even do all night for blessing. Which kind of church is that? <laughs> Which kind of church is this? We, they, they don't pray. When the pastor talks, he will just be telling us what to do, what to do. Which kind of pastor is that one? <laughs> he said to pray, bless him. You know, like, uh, was it that, that, lep, that leper, uh, Naaman? Naaman, isn't it? He said, I thought he would come out and say this. <laughs> say, my brother, don't take me to that church again. I don't like that. <laughs> I thought he would bless us and bless us and bless us. <laughs> if you want the blessing, let's start with the unity. Let's start with the desire for the presence of God in Mount Zion. Let's start with the pure heart. Let's start with the loving life. 
There the Lord commands the blessing. Hallelujah. The Bible says God, Jesus spoke to that Samaritan woman. He said God is waiting for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. This is John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. If we desire to see exploits in our lives, this can only be attainable by the love for God's habitation, the fellowship of God's people. Thank you. When the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Sincerity. We have a church of today. I'm talking about the body of Christ. and praying very hard that such things will not be in our midst here. Where you cannot trust a brother or a sister. A phrase, a brother says to some other brother that I will do it for you. I will sign that. I will do that work for you. I will pay that money into your account. Just that one phrase should be enough to believe. But we have a generation today that after he says it, you have to check all the references. <laughs> when I was a little boy in secondary school, thank, thank you for that scripture. When I was a little boy in secondary school, when we had science club, debating society, those kind of things, what used to happen is anytime they want to elect, they would take the post of treasurer and keep it aside. Put up all the other posts for election. People will contest to be president. People will contest to be vice president, secretary, eh, PRO, all those things. People will contest, but the post of treasurer, they will keep it aside and bring somebody from Christian fellowship. They will say, give it to him, unopposed, because he will not steal their money. I say no more. <laughs> Today, I say no more. But God have mercy. What has changed? What has changed? We need to examine ourselves. This, I'm not telling you stories. This is what I experienced. They would just say, treasurer, brother David, you are our treasurer. Because brother David will not touch their money. He will not. But we have a generation today that have allowed so much of lasciviousness and greed. And we are not different in terms even worse than those people that we should be shining the light to. And may God deliver us in Jesus' name. So the life of Nehemiah was one that we, is one that we can look at and how God moved this man to see what was wrong. Even though it was a physical city he rebuilt, this is how God wants us to see what is wrong continuously in the church of today and continue to do like this man did to make sure that it is corrected. This is the whole purpose of Jeremiah and Nehemiah's life. The first thing, as we read, now we're going to be reading Nehemiah chapter 1, the entire chapter, not reading it, but picking verses from it, and Nehemiah chapter 2. So please, if you can load that from me, we will be looking at them at different times. But before that, the first thing I'd like us to see is that he heard the news of the dilapidation of the walls and the gates of his city, Jerusalem, even though he was a slave in a Persian country. I want us to quickly look at what Jerusalem signifies in Hebrews chapter 12 before we start looking at Nehemiah. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 to 24. I want you to be intrigued by the story of this man. He's one man I've studied for many, many years. And I'm, this is, I want Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 22 to 24, thank you. He w looked at his city, Jerusalem, and he was not happy. Look at what the Bible says before we go to his story again. He said, but you have come to where? to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the what? Heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Verse 23, very, very quickly, let's keep going. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. And verse 24, verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Thank you very much for that. Now go back to Nehemiah chapter 1. I want the first three verses. But the first thing I want to quickly say here is that Nehemiah heard about the dilapidation of his city, Jerusalem. He was a slave in a Persian country serving a king as a butler. That tells me that he had no business concerning himself with Jerusalem. He was comfortable was comfortable where he was. Yes, he was a slave, but he wasn't suffering like the people that he heard about. And this is what I want us to understand today. The church must understand that it's never ever about your comfort or my comfort. It is about the state of things that need to be corrected every time. 
if we all pursue our comfort and what is just comforting us, we will never address the core of what needs to be looked into at every point in time, like Nehemiah did. Look at what he said. The Bible says the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the citadel. Verse 2. He said that Hanani, one of my brethren, you move very quickly with me, thank you, came with men from Judah and I asked them, I asked them, I inquired, I want to know about my people. I want to know about the state of the church. Don't forget, we read Hebrews chapter 12. He said, it is the heavenly Jerusalem. The church of the firstborn is the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, this physical Jerusalem was to give us a type of what we should be doing with the heavenly Jerusalem that is here on earth. The gathering together of the saints, the church of the firstborn, where Jesus, Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. That's what the church is today. But every one of us must be like a Nehemiah that is consistently looking, asking. Hanani is like a, is like a Holy Spirit that works with our conscience. Hanani was a, an associate of Nehemiah that came from Jerusalem, but that is how we must have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, looking at the church local, the church global. The church God has planted you in is a Jerusalem that you must continue to look at, to see and ask what else can be done, what else can be put right. Because we are so much of work in progress. And then what can you do with the church global? What is the prayer movement? What is the thing that needs to be done? What can you contribute to give a better image to the church global, to the church local and the church global? The Bible says, Nehemiah asked concerning the Jews who had escaped, and then Hanani, one of my brethren, came and I asked him, thank you, who had escaped, who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. Let's read what Hanani said in verse 3. Very quickly, verse 3. Verse 3. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in what? Great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Gates represent entry points and exit points in any city. And the walls represent the boundaries that keep also complement the work of the gates. So when they are broken down, they are open to all kinds of elements. This is what every one of us must understand. When the gates and the walls of the church of today are broken down and destroyed, it means that we are open to all kinds of elements. This is why we are seeing all kinds of heretic preachings all over the place. This is why we are seeing hirelings get on pulpits and confuse people the more and swindle people and collect their money and say they are doing miracle money. Things that do not exist in scripture, those are broken down gates and broken down walls. We may not be able to reach every fellowship and stop everything that is wrong like Nehemiah did, but within our lives and within our assemblies and within our social media and every platform God gives to us, we must be people who are insisting to bring out the word and the message of truth in sincerity, not just by word, but by action, demonstrable action, lifestyles that people can see. What they see is what they get. Our children should not be confused with what they see us do in church and how they see us live at home. Our co-workers must not see us talking about Jesus on social media and we are devils in the workplace. We must be wholly preaching that word with every form and format that God gives to us. This is how we will be repairers of breaches in our time. We look at our church like this and ask ourselves, what is the situation? Hanani, what is the situation? Nobody is bearing Hanani here. That is Holy Spirit. <laughs> Holy Spirit, tell me what is the situation here? What can I do? What can I do? I humbly submit to you, this has been my lifestyle for many, many years. Many, many years. I've told you many times how I joined the church and I found that the worship was not going okay. Before that time, I'd never sang in the choir. I'd done a lot of drama, done a lot of stage things. So I knew about stage and how to command stage right from age four. I've been by God's privilege sitting on stage doing different things. I used to like drama a lot. When I was very young, they didn't put us in drama. God will forgive all those older brothers of ours. They thought we were not serious. And some of us were very sincere. We were very sincere. I wanted to ask. They said, you are too young. Go, go, go. So one day they called me. They said they are looking for sheep. 
in the Christian play. I say, what is the part of the play? They say, just be making meh. I say, eh, serious? <laughs> they put us in one corner, be bleating, bleating. Put us in one corner. When they signal us, we go meh, meh, meh. Believe me, I felt on top of the world. <laughs> if that's what I, I can do for my God, I felt on top of the world. <laughs> I didn't know God was going to give me platforms across the world much many, many, many more years later. But I enjoyed that sheep walk very much. <laughs> Hallelujah. Just throw yourself into the work, whatever is available. When I came into this country, I was a research student. Most of the people in my situation at that time will be plotting to get their lives right, get their PhD. We were privileged to be given scholarships, so that was a favor of God, no doubt. Most people then will be wanting to finish their work, impress their line managers and do well and be retained in the faculty as a minimum so that you get a job that you continue after because you have a potential to do so if you do well and there's opportunity. That's what will be the concern of people. That was not my main concern. Of course, I, was, I had a family, a young family at that time, but that was not my concern. I, was, I kept on asking myself. The first bed and breakfast I stayed in the city of Wolverhampton. I stayed there for three weeks. The first day, I came in on a Monday morning. The first Sunday, I walked around on a, on the, at the weekend. I started asking, which church is around here? I started asking people. Now, this was the year 2000. It's not like now that we have churches that I knew from my home country, Nigeria. We didn't have redeemed churches. We didn't have all those churches that are... We didn't, there's no winners, nothing. No church that we could know from Nigeria at that time. At that time. So it was not... I just, I just found a place and I went into the first church. I served there. Then the next Sunday, somebody invited me to another church. And then I went there. And somehow as I got there, I felt this is a place to settle. This is a place to serve. And I started to make myself available. They said, Brother Dave, can we use your house for house fellowship? I said, why not? It's a small place. If you are happy to, to use it, come there. Let's, let's do it. And then we started there. And then one Sunday, the pastor said to me, he said, Brother Dave, God has brought you to this country for a purpose like this. From next Sunday, you'll be preaching with me on a Sunday like this. I wasn't expecting that. And that is how I started to preach. In the service. I was preaching like that. Preaching my heart out. One of those sessions. Preparing. Just exactly like this. Preaching like this. When God made my first job in this country to walk up to me. My first work permit. Virtually walked up to me after the service. And was handed to me virtually. Those of you that know the story know it. I don't have time to go into it again today. But my point is that. As soon as you make yourself available. In wanting to serve God. Those things that you are worried about. Jesus said your heavenly father knows that you need those things. Settle with him. Hanani did, I mean uh, Nehemiah after speaking with Hanani. Did not need to move to go to Jerusalem to do anything. He was comfortable where he was. But God knew that there was a promotion of becoming a governor. That was waiting for him. And he put a burden of the work in his heart. And God transformed his life. So as lovers of God, we must continue to allow the Holy Spirit to show us the conditions of our gates and our walls. By the grace of God, I have produced 25 PhD students today after my own PhD. By the grace of God. And many more. I still have about four or five coming through. By the grace of God. I didn't plan it. Many people are struggling to have those things. I have been excellent examiner in more than five countries outside this UK. Just last week, I got invitation again to come and examine somewhere. I sit in my office. He comes to meet me. One professor asked me, he said, David, how do you do these things three years ago? I said, it's God. That's why I'm telling you to come and serve him. <laughs> it's God. It's God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. I have been running a consultancy practice since 2009 to the glory of my God. 2008-9 to the glory of my God. I will sit in my living room like this. People will call me. Last week, I was in Australia. Let's take help that child. Let's help that child. Last week, I was far away in Australia. Some people called me. I said, I don't have time for a meeting now. I am in Australia. I said, are you not on Facebook? They said, ah, yeah. I've, some say I've seen your picture. I said, I'm enjoying myself here. No work. They will say to me, David, we'll wait for you. When you come back, you call us. 
I'm not the only engineer in this country. In fact, there are many, many better engineers that they can easily give the work to, to do. But when, they make, when God makes people wait for you like that, it's because you are touching him somewhere. You are touching him somewhere. I beg of you, brethren, if this was fallacy for me, then I will not be telling you. This is practical reality. I am not look. I thank God for you, but I am looking for what will make prayers work easy for everyone here. This is how I always encourage people. Just do whatever it is. This man looked. He said, there must be something to do. And he began to react. Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4. He says, so it was when I heard these words. Verse 4 now. I heard these words. I sat down and wept. Nehemiah 1 4. Have I lost media? Nehemiah 1 4. I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, weeping may endure for the night, but joy will come with the morning light. Verse 4, now go to Nehemiah 1, 4. He said, I sat down and I wept for morning many days. Number two things, you must react with emotive love. The weeping there doesn't mean you disturb your husband or your wife at night. That when you say, what is happening? You say, I'm just too disturbed. No, that's not what it means. It simply means there is a burden in your heart. Something that God will show you. When God called me into ministry in the year 2012, late 2012, I said, Lord, you have given me enough to do. I am enjoying my academic career. I'm enjoying my professional career. Not too many people have the privilege of having the two side by side for about 25 years at that time, or 20 years at least at that time. Not too many people have that privilege. They are either purely academics or purely practitioner. By God's grace and wisdom and creativity, somehow across Nigeria and this country, he has helped me to keep the two. It's a mystery till today. It's a mystery to me. So I say, Lord, you want to add ministry? I know what ministry is. <laughs> I say, Lord, you have given me enough to do. And I am very grateful. I am extremely grateful, very grateful. And he said to me, son, this is not a job for you. This is an assignment. And it changed everything for me. It made me see that this has, is a task that has to be done. And as I responded to that assignment, God took everything else that I was doing in other areas to another level. God will help you. I say God will help you in the name of Jesus. He reacted by his emotions. He said, when I heard these words... At times, this is the change point. Many of us will not hear those words because we blank out. We are just so concerned about what we think are our issues, those things that we think are our problems. But when you hear the words of God about what he wants you to do, that is where you need to sit down and go before him. The mourning and weeping there means you are giving active consideration by way of fasting, praying. Don't let your fasting and prayer only be for blessing and those things you are expecting. Fasting for wife, fasting for husband, fasting, that is if you are still yet, if you are yet to marry. Because if you are married and you are still fasting for another wife, <laughs> then you have another problem. But, you know, you are fasting to have a wife. You are fasting to have a husband. You are fasting to have children. You are fasting to have a job. You are fasting to have immigration papers. You are fasting this, fasting that. Don't let your fasting be do on those things. Fast to say, Lord, give me capacity to be able to serve you. Give me capacity to be able to use my gift and my talent to the max. Help me to have time to serve God. Help me to have time to pray. Help me to have time to intercede. Help me to have time to do the things I know I should be doing in the body of Christ. Fast for those things. And watch God help you like he helped Nehemiah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Psalm 126, verse 5 and verse 6. The Bible says, for this God, he who goes forth, that is weeping, bearing, sowing seed. Go back to verse 5. Thank you. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Verse 6. Let's read verse 6 together, everybody. Verse 6 now. He who continually, read it again. He who, read it again. He who, number again. He who goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Keep going continually. What you did last year, thank God for it. This is a new year. You go again continually. You ask God, how can I take this work to the next level? You go again continually. 
You go again continually. And as you are going, weeping, it means you are sacrificing. It's not convenient to do things for God. You do it out of inconvenience. That is the weeping part of it. It's not convenient. If you are looking for a convenient time to serve God, you will never find it. Yeah, it's not a curse. It's not a curse. You see, I like that pastor. He has so much time. You will see he's in prayer. He's in the midweek. <laughs> he's preaching every Sunday. I just like the man. He's so gifted with time. <laughs> I will bring you to my house to live with me for one week. Then you <laughs> And I will make sure you are not sleeping at the times I'm not sleeping. <laughs> then you will understand. You will understand. I was having a meeting with Dr. Yomi where we were finalizing the fellows coming in. And uh, we did a, a spreadsheet just to check some things. Yeah, late evening on a Friday, I can't remember, Monday, Tuesday, early this week. It must have been early last week. Monday, thereabouts. Okay? It was, and I said to her, when I stood up, that I said, give me five minutes, it occurred to me that I've been on that chair for five hours. I've not moved from meeting to meeting, Zoom to Zoom to Zoom. You know you can easily do that. You just Zoom this one out and Zoom the next one in and Zoom. <laughs> It occurred to me, I have not stood up there for five hours. I have been to different parts of the country having meetings, and I think even one internationally before our meeting time. It's not easy. It's not easy. You go forth, and what is it? I could, I could, I could be sleeping and resting at that, those extra two hours we spent. But for the sake of the kingdom, 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 you weep, you weep, you weep. But you are going to be coming back again rejoicing. I can tell you that of a shorty. Hallelujah. You will be bringing ships with you in the name of Jesus. Nehemiah wept for his city. And God gave him victory there. God will give you victory. God will give you victory. God will open as you weep for his city. As you weep, you are hearing the news. Don't just say, oh, they are saying this against Christians again. Oh, no. What will we do? No, no, no. There are things you can do. Your money can support the gospel. Your time can support the gospel. You can join the evangelism team. You can do something that helps to keep continuing the word. The Bible says he continually goes forth. You can do something that is also bringing out the message that the devil is trying to suppress. You can use your social... Someone say, I, do, I hate Facebook. I hate Instagram. I hate this. I hate that. You know what? When you talk like that, you are, I'm telling you the truth. In this modern time, you are doing a disservice to the body of Christ. I was not this bold about saying this before, but I find that Christians must be told this. I don't say go to social media and be dancing, twerking, or what do you... <laughs> be dancing all those nonsense dance. It's a funny world. I'm on Instagram, and then because I'm a preacher, I want to get as many people who will listen to my message. So I will get a lot of people requesting. Before, I didn't used to go and check their profile. <laughs> I would just accept. <laughs> then I saw all manner of people. I said, ah! <laughs> I saw all manner of people coming in. Then I was very selective about who. <laughs> oh, what a world we have become. But the truth is that you need to Find time. I'm not saying go and be wasting time there. But it's a platform where messages are exchanged a lot. And many things can be done to propagate the gospel there. It is 2023. It's no more 2003. 2003, that did not matter. 2023, it matters a lot. So make effort. Use those things. It's just one thing. But use those things. Mourn and let God speak through your life in the name of Jesus. The third thing he did is he prayed for courage. He prayed for courage. Nehemiah chapter 1, go straight to verse 11. The Bible says, Oh Lord, I pray, please let your. He prayed for courage and favors. Let your prayers be attentive to your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. He was not somebody that you can talk about in terms of political weight. He did not have the gravitas. He did not have the money, the position, the influence. He did not have the what we may call the papers today. He did not have the status we can call today. But he decided that he will go before the king. What that means for you is that you may be a junior person where you work. 
and there is a king that is always telling you you can't be in church on Sunday. You can't do this, you can't do that. You must pray for favors and say, you know what, I like this job, I want to serve very well in this place, but I need my Sundays. Go, ask for favor. Have you asked before? Did they say no? Some of us don't ask. We just say, oh, they don't allow. They don't allow. No, you ask. Hallelujah. You ask. You ask. You say, Lord, help me like this man. Grant me favor before the king. The Bible says the heart of every king is in the hand of the Lord. Like a water course, he directs you to where he please. He said, let your servant prosper this day. I pray, grant me him mercy in the sight of this man. Any kind of mercy you need, any kind of the favor you need, pray and go and ask for it. And God will give it to you in Jesus' name. I say, God will give it to you in Jesus' name. You need favor. We need favor. I need favor. Everybody needs favor. Luke 2.52, the Bible says Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and he increased in favor with God and with man. If Jesus needed favor to function with man, you need favor. I need favor. Hallelujah. So we need favor to serve God. We need favor. Favor is God's embellishment of glory on a human being that makes him irresistible, makes her uncontestable, makes her or him or her unstoppable. That is the favor of God. It's at work so mightily upon this church. This church is so heavily favored, you cannot believe it. The way God has been working with us, we are a different entity. God has shown me from the beginning that if I follow him and never let him go, this is why my primary purpose is never to let God go. I love people and I love gathering people. That's why I'm a pastor. Our work is to gather people. But the truth is I have never begged anyone to stay here. And I will never. But God, I am always begging, pleading, Lord, whatever we do, if you are angry, let me know. Anything you want me to do to appeal to you, not to leave us as a people. Because without him, I can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. Have you ever heard me anywhere here? Somebody said they are going, and I say, you are leaving my covering. You are going somewhere. They... <laughs> I've told you many times, even me, I'm looking for God's covering. <laughs> when a man says, you, 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 you are not released, you are, you are leaving my covering. Are, I just look at them and laugh, because you are still alive. <laughs> because God, which covering? You yourself, you need covering. So stop deceiving people. Which covering do you have? No man has covering over another man. No man. No man. Everybody's covering comes from God. Ah, what are we talking? You say you are leaving covering. Ah. My brother, no need to fight. <laughs> no need to fight. God told me that this church will never lack people. It will never lack money. That is good enough for me. So anybody who is here, I am grateful. Anybody who thinks he wants to go, I bless them. I think my only pain will be if somebody leaves this church and they stop being a Christian. That is the only thing I've always been praying against. But you live here, you go join. If I will call the pastor, and if I know that, I say, I know that brother. He sounds very well. No, he left in a very funny way. <laughs> I must speak the truth. I must speak the truth. I must speak the truth. But no, I, I just said that as a joke. But you know, the truth is, this is not a business for me. When I want to do business, I know where I do business. So it's, this is not a business for me. This is an assignment. This is an assignment. So I pray for favor to, for God to help me. You should pray for favor for God to help you in your role. The people that, look, the choir you saw here sing only 25 minutes. They were here for more than two hours on Saturday. About two hours on Saturday. When you were going about eating McDonald's and enjoy, enjoy with your children. Say, children, come on, let's go to KFC. <laughs> they were here only to sing for 25 minutes, maximum 45 minutes in a service. Everything takes work. Everything takes effort. Everyone taking their place. If I have to do that, I cannot be doing what I'm doing today. Somebody cleaned this place. I was here, we were here with the fellows on Friday to do some welcome and some things with them. The place was looking very messy. If I was the one that had to come back here yesterday to clean it up, I cannot be this, like this, this morning. But they freed up my time to do that. So everybody has a role to pray and say, Lord, give me favor to be able to contribute to the building of your house. Give me favor to be able to contribute to manifesting my gift and talent in your household. And God will be giving you favors in Jesus' name. Nehemiah chapter 2, I will rush very quickly now because of time. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 and verse 12. He says, so I came to Jerusalem and I was there for three days. 
Then I arose in the night, and a few men with me. He took faithful men. Faithful men helped the vision. I read Nehemiah chapter 2, not 11, 12. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. He said, I told them. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. Thank you. He said, and I told no one what God had put in my heart to do in Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one. But I went with a few men. You see, those few men are what we call our inner circles. We need them around us every time to do what God has called us to do. You need a few men that can encourage you to keep saying, brother, brother, brother X, sister Y, keep going. You need those men around you every time. When you feel tired, you just come back. Of course, the first few men should be your spouses if you are married. And then some brethren that can just encourage you from time to time. Don't be fraternizing with people who will discourage your faith. I love everybody and I can flow with anybody, but if you are somebody who will weigh me down or you're always talking things that are not important to me, you cannot be a close friend of mine. If you are a gossip and you just talk things that are unholy, I cannot be your friend. I don't know how we can. We can't have a conversation. We can't. We can't. So take time to leverage the power of the inner circle. Jesus had Peter, James, and John around him every time. Because it's, it's important to have a few men, a few women around you that you can talk and encourage one another. Number five. Number five. He shared vision and got provision. If you have not been following the numbering, number one, he had the news. Number two, he reacted with emotive love. Number three, he prayed for courage and favors. Number four, he leveraged the power of the inner circle. Then number five, he shared vision and he got provision. This is very important. Nehemiah chapter 2, go to verse 17 and 18. He said, then I said to them, you see the distress we are in now, how Jerusalem lies waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them the hand of God, verse 18, which has been good upon me. Ultimately, they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. Hallelujah. Every time you share vision, God will give you provision. Every vision God lays on your heart has a provision waiting. Never be afraid. A vision doesn't mean you are starting a new church. It can, but it doesn't mean so. A vision can simply mean you want to reform how we handle certain aspects of our work. You are IT savvy you know some things that we are currently not doing. It's a vision. And then you bring a proposal. And as soon as you are bringing it, don't be afraid. Whatever the provision you need in terms of your wisdom, the abilities, the team, the money, as long as it is God that gave that vision, watch him make provision available. I say he will make provision available in the name of Jesus. I'm only using this church as a, so that you can focus on something. It is about the body of Christ. Whatever God calls us to do, we must always respond because God will always supply every requirement in the name of Jesus. The last thing I would like to share is that he overcame opposition. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. He overcame opposition because he depended on God. Sambalat and Tobias came about trying to discourage him. They said he's trying to rebel against the king. Verse 20. When they said that, will you rebel against the king? Verse 20, he said, so I answered them. Let's read it together. And said to them, the God of heaven himself, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right in memoria in Jerusalem. The Lord will help us. The Lord will prosper us. In the name of Jesus. Our love for God's habitation must continually be demonstrated. The more we do, we see the results of good works we are meant to do. The Bible says we are created for good works. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus created for good works. Ephesians 2.10. We are created for good works. As we make ourselves available, we will start to see exploits happening in and through our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. My final scripture this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, 
For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Verse 23. Verse 23. I say God who promised is faithful. God who promised is faithful. Just hold fast to the confession of your hope. Don't waver. Don't waver. He who promised is faithful. God's faithfulness will come through to you. God's faithfulness will come through to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And verse 24 says, let us consider and tear one another up to love and good works. Let us be intentional about being an encouragement. Be that brother or that sister when everybody looks at, they say, I am encouraged. Be that person. It is, you strive to be it. It's not just happening. You strive to be it. Because you are that brother or that sister that is there on time. You are that brother or that sister that is always willing to do. You are that person that is always bringing some vitality to the team. Be that person. He said, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Verse 25. Everybody, let's read verse 25 together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another as much the more as you see the day approaching. Keep staring one another up to good works in the mighty name of Jesus. By the grace of God, when God laid the, uh, the, the vision of this mission to me, he showed me some things that needed to be repaired in the body of Christ, repaired in quote. He showed me some things that the church that should be doing and they are not yet doing. He showed me how we major a lot on spiritual gifts and do not talk about our vocational gifts because we think our vocational gifts should just be helping us to make money. And our spiritual gifts should be used to demonstrate prophesying to one another and interpreting tongues and working miracles. He said, no, I gave all those gifts and they should all be used to my glory. This is why by the grace of God, we engage with our community in very, very active ways. Sometime at very high, sophisticated levels like the Commonwealth Scholarship Program by the special grace and mercies of God. In a short while from now, I'll be introducing our scholars. They have all arrived. Let's give the Lord a big hand. I've never seen it done before that a church will be engaged with such things. I know church do community projects. They do things. But I've never seen it before that churches will compete with universities for projects that can bring him glory that can transform lives across the world. I'd never seen it. It is part of what we see, like Nehemiah saw. And let's continue to repair it in Jesus' name. By the grace of God, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. So I want to encourage you, get on board. Get on board. We do things a little bit differently because it is to help our cause. So let us stay focused, and God will be doing a new thing in every one of our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus. Rise to your feet with me. Well.